This morning we're continuing with our series in Luke's Gospel. We're looking at Luke chapter 9. The title of my sermon is Coming After Jesus. Coming After Jesus. I'll read from verse 23. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? In Luke chapter 9 verse 23, the Lord Jesus Christ declares the practical realities of coming after him, in other words, of following him as one of his disciples. Look again at verse 23. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, will follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Therefore, the Christian life is one that is characterised by self-denial. First of all, we'll look at what self-denial means. The word deny in verse 23 is the same word, it comes from the same Greek word uh, that is used for the Apostle Peter's denials of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it means to disown. And that is precisely what Peter did the night before Jesus was crucified. He disowned him on three occasions. Therefore, when it comes to denying yourself, what that means is forgetting yourself. Losing sight of yourself and of your own interests. Disowning yourself. In other words, it goes way beyond denying yourself the pleasure of eating chocolate at Lent. Jesus says that you are to renounce living for your own selfish interests. And I emphasise selfish interests. This is something that we're all very good at. Again, it's, it's, it's a characteristic of sin, of, uh, of living in the sinful flesh. We are to renounce living for our own selfish interests and instead you are to live your life for the sake of Jesus and his gospel. The Dutch reformed theologian Wilhelmus Abrakel summed up self-denial when he said self-denial is that foundational Christian virtue granted by God to his children whereby they out of love for God's will, neither give heed to or yield to their mind, will and emotions in so far as they are in opposition to the will of God, but they oppose their mind, they oppose their will, they oppose their emotions and suppress them instead. This is all, this is all about mortifying the flesh. 
They do so by a voluntary forsaking and rejecting of all that pertains to their natural well-being if God's cause demands such from them. I emphasise the fact that self-denial is that foundational Christian virtue granted by God to his children. In other words, it's something that God gives us as Christians because I want to make it clear that Christian self-denial is not works but rather it is a grace of God. Don't We don't go into, uh, oh, you're talking about earning your way into heaven here. I'm not talking about that at all. And neither was the Lord Jesus Christ when he spoke about denying yourself. It's a grace of God. I suspect that more than a few professing Christians have failed to understand the nature of the relationship that exists between them and God, their Heavenly Father. Your acceptance before God is and always will be in his beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who having lived a perfectly sinless life on your behalf and who sacrificially laid down his life when he paid the price in full for all of your sins, he was raised again the third day for your justification. Now, The thing is, far from that relationship giving you licence to live for yourself, it yokes you to God. It yokes you to the God of your salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. As it is written in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, Ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. I wonder what that price was, folks. Ye are bought with a price. The precious blood of Christ. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Not yours, God's, if you belong to Jesus. And we see that what that involves in Luke chapter 9, verse 24, where Jesus said... For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. In other words, if you want to save your life, that is to preserve your life from self-denial and to live your life according to your own selfish interests, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for the sake of Christ, that is, you lose your life in the sense of um, denying yourself, which may or may not include martyrdom, martyrdom, you will save it, both now and throughout all eternity, living your born-again life for the glory of God, which again is something that God grants to his children. Look, we'll look at some areas of self-denial. In the Old Testament book of Job, the man Job, having lost his health, his wealth, and most tragically, he lost his seven sons and his three daughters, and he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. 
the Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We all do well to remember that we come into this world with nothing. And we leave it with nothing. And all the good things that we have come from God, the gracious giver. I want you to consider the verses in James chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. You can turn to it or listen very carefully as I read them. James chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. James said, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We're being told in those verses that every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. In other words, every good gift, every perfect gift comes from God. Yeah, that's that's easy enough to understand. But look at the rest of it there. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. That is the language of being born again by the word of God. Therefore, every good gift... Every perfect gift that God gives us refers to salvation from sin and every spiritual blessing in heavenly places that is received through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. With that in mind, surely all of you who will come after Jesus or follow him as his disciples, your souls having been delivered from destruction, and you having received every spiritual blessing. This is the good gift. This is the perfect gift from above. Spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus, your Lord. Never mind all the stuff in this world. Talking about gifts from above in Christ, through faith in Christ. You will have the same attitude as Moses of old, who chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming or considering the reproach of Christ greater than the riches of Egypt or greater than the riches of this world. You would consider suffering the reproach of Christ greater than the riches of this world. And in Matthew chapter 6, Verse 19 through to 21, the Lord Jesus Christ said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 
I wonder, where are your treasures? Are they in, in the world or are they in heaven? It's a very serious question, that one. Whatever earthly treasures you have, whatever God has been pleased to give you, they most certainly ought to be received with thanksgiving and used of, used or disposed of for his glory. The things that you receive in this world, use them for the glory of God. Obviously, much of the money that you have, whatever money you manage to accumulate in this world, you have to pay a lot of that in tax, don't you? And then what happens to that tax? A lot of that tax goes towards stuff that you'd rather it didn't go towards. Like abortions, paying for abortions, or promoting all manner of evil agendas, such as sexual perversion that is being promoted by our government. And also the funding of global conflicts. But there are nevertheless opportunities to give money to the work of your church and to mission. Whatever you give towards the advancement of the gospel of Christ ought to be done cheerfully and not begrudgingly. If if you're penny pinching, then forget it. Also, whatever you give is between you and the God of your salvation. And for that reason, we don't make a big deal about offerings in this church. You probably noticed that. An offering bag or a contact payment, contactless payment machine, those things aren't passed around during the services, um, during the first hymn or whatever the, the tradition is in churches. You're trying to hold a hymn book, or, or sing a hymn and you're fiddling around trying to find your wallet at the same time. We don't have any of that stuff in this church. It's left to you to figure out what your priorities are though. Self-denial is not an easy topic to talk about and that's because it touches on raw nerves and it reaches into hearts that, apart from God's grace, are selfish and covetous. In and of yourselves, a life of self-denial is not going to become a reality. Left to your own devices, you're not going to deny self. That's the last thing you do. Unless you are living a born-again life, live for the glory of God. When I was in the London City Mission, the the motto of the mission was um, the, the glory of God and the salvation of souls. Let that be your end, your chief end. It's not a bad one, is it? The glory of God and the salvation of souls. Therefore, self-denial starts at conversion when a person acknowledges himself to be a hell-deserving sinner, at which point, by the grace of God, he forsakes self and he receives the Lord Jesus Christ as his righteousness before God. When you become a Christian, what are you doing? You're saying that you are a hell-deserving sinner. And you receive Jesus by the grace of God. From then on, 
the saved person follows Jesus who when he was in the world said, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man have not where to lay his head. Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Jesus took the form of a servant when he came into this world, even though he is the creator God. He was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. For ye know the grace of of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich, might be rich with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Dare you claim to be someone who comes after the Lord Jesus Christ? Dare you be someone who claims to follow Jesus? Verse 23, And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. As well as denying yourself, following after Jesus involves taking up your cross daily and following him. That's a well-known phrase, isn't it? Taking up your cross or bearing your cross. It's one of many phrases that everyday language has borrowed from the Bible. And there are others, such as, you reap what you sow. Everyone knows that saying, don't they? Or labour of love. A leopard cannot change its spots. And the land of Nod. What about the land of Nod? Such phrases may or may not be spoken in the context that you see them in the Bible. I mean, for example, the land of Nod. When I grew up in London, I thought the land of Nod was being in a, in a state of deep sleep. Being, I don't know if it's the same here. The land of Nod is being fast asleep. That's how I always understood it. However, according to Genesis chapter 4 and verse 16, the land of Nod is where Cain, the son of Adam, dwelt after he had murdered his brother Abel. Very different. How about when people talk about having their cross to bear? What do they usually mean? Normally they're talking about coping with a burden of some description or dealing with some challenging situation such as having a physical uh, a physical disability. That's the cross that they bear, a physical disability. Or suffering the loss of a loved one or the loss of a possession. The thing is that those burdens and challenging situations are the experience of everybody, not just Christians. Anyone, whether the person's a Christian or not, could have a physical disability that that greatly hinders them and limits what they can do. We can all have tragedies in life, whether we're Christians or not. Whereas in the Bible, cross-bearing is the experience of Christians alone. No one else, just Christians. 
And we see that when we look at Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus said, If any man will come after me, following him, that is, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It's a Christian who does that. Uh, And in Luke chapter 14 and verse 27, Jesus said, Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So if you are not bearing your cross, the cross that, that as in the context of what Jesus is saying, you cannot be one of his disciples. It's not an optional extra. Jesus was clearly addressing people who professed to be his disciples, professed to be Christians. In the previous verse, Jesus had just made reference to the cross when he told his apostles that he would be slain and raised again on the third day. I'm talking about verse 22 there. We looked at that last time. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. When Jesus was finally nailed to a cross and lifted up to die, that was unique. It was a one-time only event, never to be repeated, in that Jesus was wounded for the transgressions of all who would ever trust in him. And he bare their sins in his own body and with his stripes. You, dear Christian, are healed. You are forgiven all of your sins. That's what happened when Jesus um, sacrificially laid down his life. There nevertheless remains a cross to bear for all of you who would come after Jesus, all of you who would follow him. Once again, as Jesus said in chapter 14, verse 27, whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. There is clearly a cross for you to bear, Christian. So, thirdly, we can consider what cross-bearing is in the context of what Jesus is talking about. Unless you go to a health and prosperity gospel church and you never read the Bible for yourself, you cannot avoid hearing or reading the many verses that speak of suffering for Christ's sake. They're all over the place. If you're taking up your cross daily, you will inevitably experience hostility to varying degrees in a world that hates the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus is light and men, selfish men, love darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. This is the world we live in. As a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are light Unless, of course, you're hiding your light under a bushel, which is incompatible with the Christian profession when you consider what Jesus says in verse 23. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Various things can be said about cross-bearing Christian cross-bearing. For one thing, the person who follows Jesus 
takes up his cross daily. Therefore, like self-denial, it is not something that you can put on pause when it suits you. The only time that you lay down your cross is when you die and you go to be with Jesus. Secondly, not only is taking up your cross a daily activity, it is a deliberate one in that the person who comes after Jesus, who follows Jesus, chooses to take up his cross daily and to suffer shame for Christ's sake as he strives, as he looks for God's enabling, the the, the indwelling Holy Spirit working in him uh, to live his born-again life for the glory of God of the God of his salvation. It's not that he's looking for conflict. In fact, he makes every effort to follow peace with all men. And he does that in a world which will inevitably, he will inevitably be a victim of ridicule, lies, verbal and physical attacks. You all will be. You all are if you are Christians the victim of attacks from time to time, for Christ's sake. The bottom line is, if you come after Jesus, you are someone who takes up your cross daily. Consequently, if and when you experience hostility to varying degrees, rejoice, be exceedingly glad. If, however, your Christian pilgrimage is by and large a walk in the park, then perhaps you might consider... When it was that you last spoke to someone about Christ Jesus coming into the world to save sinners. And perhaps you might even consider the validity of your profession of faith. With that thought in mind, self-denial, which has already been considered, is an inward conformity to Christ. Whereas taking up your cross Daily is an outward conformity to him. It's something that is visible. It's something that can be seen. It can be heard um, by a Christ-rejecting world. Hence, the the inevitability of receiving insults and persecution as people see you and they hear you when you're taking up your cross daily and following Jesus. Fourthly, in days gone by, those who literally carried a cross carried it to a place of execution, as did the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, cross-bearing represents being crucified. As the Apostle Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. By Paul saying, I am crucified with Christ, he most certainly was not disregarding the uniqueness of the crucifixion of Jesus, who quite literally laid down his life as the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. As as Paul said elsewhere, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. We stand in this gospel, Christians, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. 
For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. So Paul was taking nothing away from the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who was crucified in the place of sinners. Bearing away their sins and drinking the cup of sin and taking upon himself the curse of a broken law. Paul was not for one moment suggesting that he has also died for sinners, but he was nevertheless speaking of a spiritual reality when he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. A spiritual reality. He wasn't talking goggledy gook or nonsense. He meant every word of that. Paul was saying that he's dead to works of the law. He is dead to striving to justify himself before God. And that now having been saved by the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who paid the penalty for his sins in full, he is taking up his cross daily as one who is crucified with Christ and raised up to newness of life in the Lord Jesus Christ. All of these things we see so clearly in the waters of baptism Being buried with Christ and raised up to newness of life in Jesus. Living your life in Christ for his glory. And doing so with thanksgiving in your heart. Because your life is not your own. You have been bought with a price. Finally, seeker-sensitive churches have become increasingly popular everywhere, including here on our little island. Those churches quite deliberately remove the offence of the cross in that they offer the eternal blessings of Christianity without the need to show repentance towards God and without the need to carry your cross daily with all the persecution that comes with it. Essentially, those churches offer a champagne Christianity consisting of bubbles filled with air and nothing else. It's a Christianity of convenience, one that is comfy, one that is cosy and most certainly not offensive. It doesn't address sin, it is safe. But there is no substance to it. On the other hand, what we've been considering this morning is a Christianity that is characterised by repentance, death to sin and a life of self-denial, a life of persecution, all through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who is the substance of a certain hope, a 100% hope that reaches up to heaven where Jesus now is. Last of all, Deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow Jesus as one who has shown repentance towards God and faith in his work of redemption. And you will have treasures in heaven 
with Jesus being the most precious treasure of all. Amen.